For some philosophers, that something now exists and therefore that something has always existed is simply a brute fact and needs no explanation. Hence, this question should not even be raised. For many other philosophers, however, the question is legitimate, interesting, and worth pursuing. As will be evident from the chapters that follow, even among these philosophers, the question is understood in different ways. According to some, it should be limited to an effort to account philosophically, insofar as one can, for how things are now, how they have come to reach their present status, and, if possible, how they may have originated. For others, while this effort is legitimate and praiseworthy, it is not quite enough. Philosophers should also try to explain why it is that anything actually exists rather than nothing whatsoever if they are really addressing the ultimate why question. Chapters 1 through 8 of this volume present a number of different responses to this question developed by major thinkers in the history of philosophy, beginning with representatives of ancient philosophy, both Greek and Chinese, followed by Avicenna from the medieval Arabic philosophical period, Thomas Aquinas from the medieval Christian West, Descartes at the beginnings of modern philosophy, Leibniz, especially as interpreted by Heidegger, followed by Schelling and Hegel. Three individual contemporary philosophical approaches to this issue are presented in chapters 9, 10, and 11. In chapter 1, Lloyd Gerson turns to Platonism, considered broadly enough to include Plato himself, what is commonly known as Neoplatonism, and when helpful, Aristotle viewed as a dissident Platonist. Indeed, Gerson suggests that the Platonic tradition can fairly claim to be the fonset origo of philosophical reflection on our question. He begins with Parmenides' well-known rejection of becoming based upon his rejection of the existence and the intelligibility of nothingness. He notes that one might understand the question why is there something rather than nothing in a more restricted sense as asking, why did this property appear here and now? Then one might, with Aristotle, propose an answer based on an appeal to relative non-being, in order to account for the reality of change or becoming. Nonetheless, as Gerson explains, Plato himself had not been satisfied with such an explanation, since he had realized that an explanation of change would not of itself account for the being of anything that possesses being, especially of changeless things. By drawing upon text from Plato's Parmenides and Republic, Gerson concludes that for him whatever has being must partake of usia, and to that extent must differ in some way from usia. But the idea of the good, which provides being, and usia to that which is intelligible, is itself beyond usia. Gerson points out the difference between Plato's first principle, which is said to be beyond usia, and Aristotle's first principle, the primary usia of Metaphysics 12. Gerson shows how these different conceptions of a first principle gave rise within the Platonic tradition to the issue often referred to as the problem of the one and the many. How can the many arise from the one or the composite from that which is not composite? He traces the origins of a fuller answer within the later Platonic tradition to Plato's Symposium, where he presents Socrates' report of Diotima's definition of love as desire for the possession of the good forever, and its work as birth in beauty in the body and soul. Plotinus supplies Plato's conception of love in describing his own first principle, the one, or the good, as a lover of itself. 
and Gerson maintains Plotinus applies Plato's concept of Eros to the One as an abductive inference or quia proof from claim that goodness is essentially self-diffusive. This claim, in turn, follows from the self-evident multiplicity of intelligible forms in the universe. Gerson notes that for Plotinus the good must love itself, and that in the achievement of its desire it produces necessarily. The self-love of the good or one for itself is expressed by Plotinus as a kind of gloss on the fact that it is self-caused, whereas anything other than the one is not self-caused, but caused by something outside itself.